All right. I was just going to say that we had such a beautiful uh, funeral service for yesterday. And it just was a perfect timing, day before Mother's Day, to remember her and see her, um, uh, her heritage, her legacy, in the lives of so many of her relatives and, my goodness, so many people in our church here as well. That's what godly womanhood is all about. And I want you to understand, dear folks, that as we read from uh, Proverbs 31, just depicts that essence of what godly womanhood really is all about. So it was a beautiful ceremony, and I believe today should be a, as well a beautiful recognition of our mothers. Memories of my childhood, remembering my mother, and remembering the godly influence she had on my life. And I'm sure many of you can reflect upon that as well. As children with carefree days, because of the security of a loving home and a protective and concerned mother. Mothers, it's because of you that home is such a precious place of comfort, well-being, and the knowledge of being loved. We today express our love and appreciation to you. God bless our faithful mothers. Do you know that the idea for Mother's Day was born in a small Methodist church in Grafton, West Virginia? It was 1876, and the nation still mourned the Civil War dead. While teaching a Memorial Day lesson, Mrs. Anna Reeves Jarvis thought of mothers who had lost their sons. She prayed that one day there would be a Memorial Day for mothers. The prayer was ma uh, made a deep impression on one of Mrs. Jarvis's 11 children. Young Anna had seen her mother's efforts to hold the war-split community and church together. As she grew into adulthood, the younger woman kept Mrs. Jarvis's dream in her heart. On the day of her mother's death, Anna was determined to establish Mother's Day in her honor. On May 12, 1907, a local observance was held which later spread to Philadelphia. In 1910, Mother's Day was celebrated in 45 states. Puerto Rico, Hawaii, Canada, and Mexico. Elated, Miss Jarvis told a friend, where will it end? Must, uh, where it will end must be left for the future to tell. That it will circle the globe now seems certain. On May 8, 1914, President Woodrow Wilson designated the second Sunday in May as Mother's Day. For displaying the American flag and for the public expression of love and reverence for the mothers of the country. You know, I can't help but think of those young men, soldiers who've gone to war, who perhaps lay wounded and dying on the field during the Civil War and the many wars that were fought since then. Their last thoughts 
or of their beloved mothers. And so that's what you mean to your offspring. That is such a precious thing that we recognize it with great love today. It is truly a vital expression of love for mothers who loved us with such a loving and lifelong care and dedication to raising boys and girls in a godly home that we as a church also remember our precious mothers. Her labor of love is the dedication of a mother who happily accepts her role with joy. She works tirelessly to make her house a home and be the example of love and grace to her husband and children. I would have you to turn to the book of 1 Samuel this morning. We're going to look at the life of a mother who was special indeed. And we just want to see some thoughts from this portion of God's word on the life of Hannah, the mother of Samuel, as recorded in 1 Samuel and also in second, uh, first, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1 and also chapter 2. For we see here a true uh, example of a true servant of God and her family, a woman who trusted God to answer her prayers and meet her needs. Before we get into it, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for the privilege of sharing the word of God. We pray that our hearts might be tuned to your spirit as we address these wonderful truths. We pray, dear Lord, that we might be appreciative of the godly mothers and ladies, not only of our church, but of our nation who raise their families to know and love you. We commit these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing I would have you to note this morning from this first chapter of 1 Samuel is that Hannah was a godly woman. A godly woman. Evidently, she was raised in a godly home to begin with. And she was married to a godly man. So they had a household in which they would raise their children to know and love the Lord. And this, one, uh, this woman was one who prayed. And she prayed diligently. She went to God with her desires and with her burdens. And I'm sure many times you've read this story about Hannah going up to the temple. At that time, the temple wasn't in Jerusalem. It was at a place called Shiloh. This was before uh, they were able to establish the temple there in Jerusalem. But there she would go with her husband, and we know how that she prayed that God would give her a son, a child. And as she did so, we know that uh, her prayer was mistaken, wasn't it, by the priest there, who thought that she had drunk too much wine, and that she was just kind of mumbling in a drunken state. You know, when I think, thought about that, I realized it's a sad indictment that a priest of God could not figure that a woman there kneeling in his church would be praying. But nevertheless, we find that she prayed fervently for this. She prayed with a sincere heart. God, give me a child. 
Now we go down in here and we find that there was another woman in the home. Her name was Penina, and she, her name meant Pearl. <laughs> I thought that was interesting, because she was quite a gem. She irritated Hannah, gave her a hard time, mocked her, ridiculed her, because Penina had had children, and Hannah hadn't. But Hannah kept this within her heart. I don't read anywhere in here that she answered back or that she gave uh, harsh remarks in return because she was a godly woman. And the desire of her heart she presented to the Lord. And the Lord, of course, responded to her prayer. Now, there's some, a number of principles that we find within the life of this woman and then in the home that she established and what she did to establish her son, who, by the way, mean, her son's name, she named him Samuel, whose name means from God. The last part of the name, El, E-L on the end, is the, is the Hebrew for God. And so um, she recognized that this child was from God. By the way, have you ever noticed how many children were born in the Bible who were miracle children in this way? There's quite a few. I think of, uh, of Isaac, for example. He was certainly a miracle child, wasn't he? Born uh, to uh, Abraham and Sarah in their old age. And here's Samuel, and of course the Lord Jesus was certainly a miracle child, wasn't he? So God has his hand upon these things, and he's directing from the start. The fact that Hannah hadn't had a child was not a problem for God, and in due time he would meet that need. Now Hannah's name is appropriate to her. You know what the word, the name Hannah means? It means grace. Grace. This woman was full of grace. She had a mother's heart, and she yearned for a baby to hold and nurture, as every mother does. I can't think of any sweeter thing than for a mother to look into the face of that newborn baby. And you know what? That love attachment is immediate, isn't it? When that baby gives its first smile to its mother, that attachment is forever for the rest of their life. So what a great power a mother has in the life of those children. Something that never goes away. As we said, even on the battlefield, those men cried out to their mother in their time of greatest struggle. And so we find that Hannah would devote her child to the Lord. I want you to notice that as you go down here in our text and look at verse 10 as she prays to the Lord. It says in verse 10, She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. This was her pouring out her heart, her soul to the Lord, wasn't she? And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, 
you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but you will give your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. In other words, she devoted her child to the Lord. Even before, not only before he was born, but before he was even conceived. She's making that commitment to the Lord as she makes a prayer for him. And the beautiful part about it is that she would devote her son to the Lord for his entire lifetime. That vow she took is what we call, what we read about in scripture as the Nazarite vow. It was the vow that would mean that, that that one would be separated unto the Lord. They were not to partake of any of the, remember, the fruit of the vine. They were not to cut their hair during the entire time of that, uh, of that vow that they took. But what's unique about this one is that she made a lifetime vow for her child. That he would maintain that separation, that godliness of life, she would instill that within him with such purpose that, well, as we know, Samuel would become one of the great prophets throughout the Old Testament. Well, we find that she trained up her child and that having committed him to the Lord, she would follow through. Finally, A day came, and she gave birth to her son. And she offered up her praise to the Lord. And I would just have you to note that she would pray for her child. She would pray that God would bless and use that child. One of the key things that, well, I'm speaking not only to to mothers and ladies, but also to husbands and fathers. We need to be praying for our children, praying daily, praying that God would take a hold of that child and keep them from the evil one, keep them from the wickedness of the world surrounding us, keep them from that uh, awful um, thing that's going on in our world today that would drag them down, get them involved in things that are corrupt and lead them away from the Lord. What a heartbreak it is to see young people grow up in Christian homes. They stay with church and family until they graduate from high school, and then we lose them to the world. Off they go to an atheistic, uh, uh, ungodly environment in in the corporate world or perhaps in university, and they forget all the things that they were taught as a child. And we've seen it happen over and over and over again. Now, it's not that that child hasn't been taught what's right, but I think it's because it hasn't been instilled into them in a way in which it becomes their very, the very core of their being. So that mom and dad spend time instilling it in them, praying with them, Don't allow the world to take control of our children. And mothers, that is a grave and vital responsibility. 
In my home growing up, we had family devotions every day. Every day. And we would pray together. My dad would have each one of us pray, even as little children. And it, then, and then we would spend time in God's word, and then we would discuss it. And then my dad would pray, and my mother would pray. And I want you to understand that all of those things, you know, they just became the very essence of who we were as children. And we were, of course, always in church. My dad was a pastor, and I had to sit right there on the front row so he could watch me, make sure I was paying attention. So you see, that's just a godly home. And I think that's what God honors. So parents, do you pray for your children? Do you teach them to know and love the Lord? Do you expect them to um, be faithful to the Lord as they mature and grow up? Such an essential thing. Now I want you to notice too that Hannah was greatly loved of her husband. He had another woman that was another wife of his. Back in those days, I guess it was common to have more than one wife. It's important, however, to notice that nowhere in Scripture is that approved of. It was accepted as reality, but but it was not something God would have us to do. And we find that there is tension in the home because of the two wives, isn't there? As well, we could expect it to be. Because you know what? A wife and a mother needs to feel that she is the one, this is her domain. She is there, as as Proverbs 31 spoke about it, to be the one who maintains that home and has authority over it. And her husband trusts in her to do that. So we find that she was greatly loved of her her husband. She went to her husband and told him how upset she was because she hadn't had a child. But you know, sometimes husbands aren't as understanding as we ought to be. And... uh, careful to uh, acknowledge the concerns of our wives. And so that, too, is an important part of, of a happy home, caring about the concerns of our wife or wife or the husband. <clears throat> and down here in verse uh, 23, it says here that this, this is after her prayer. She prayed in the presence of the priest and Then she went home, and notice what it says in verse 23. After the baby is born, Elkanah, her husband, said to her, they were told she was supposed to go up to the temple and and worship. Um, And she says, I won't go until I present him to the Lord. And here's what he says. Do what seems best to you until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. Now I pointed that out because her husband has agreed with her in this same commitment and devotion, dedication of this child. One of the greatest joys that I had as a pastor over the years is when 
mom and dad would bring the little baby up, and I would get to hold that baby and pray over it as they dedicated that child to the Lord. Now, that's a wonderful experience. I want you to understand something. When we dedicate a child to the Lord, we're dedicating ourselves to the Lord. Mom and dad are committing to see to it that that child is raised in a godly manner in a home that's dedicated to the Lord. So Elkanah and Hannah raised their child to know the Lord. Now Samuel was separated to the Lord and she had committed on top of that. By the way, this family was a Levite family. That family was the priestly uh, tribe of Israel. And so they were already committed to the service of the Lord in the temple. And so this commitment is even on top of that uh, standard association with, uh, shall I say in those days, with the church. This was a personal thing of commitment to God. And so we find that she was not only a godly wife, but a gracious wife. I've heard parents say, and this is a sad indictment, it truly is. I actually heard a parent say that uh, when, I, when my child gets old enough, I'll let them to make decisions for themselves. Well, I believe that's a big mistake. Remember, uh, you probably remember listening to Rush Limbaugh on the, on, the, on, the, um, on the radio some years back. And he would always describe young people as, as having minds full of mush. <laughs> Do you remember that? And his point was, somebody has to train that one. Somebody has to put into their heart and mind those things that they will live by. Otherwise, they're just open to anything that comes along, and they're going to follow that. And so we find that Samuel was separated to the Lord because from the very beginning, he was taught the truths that he would live by. And so I suggest to you that a child left to make its own decisions will invariably make the wrong ones. They'll run with the wrong gang. They'll be enticed to do the wrong things. Child left to make his own decisions will only bring heartache to his mother. And so parents, we must set standards. We must direct lives. We must aim our children in the proper direction and train them up in the fear of the Lord. Now, I'm not suggesting that, church, uh, that home is always a somber and and a very firm type of thing. As we heard from uh, those who gave stories of their upbringing yesterday in the service, uh, told of fun times, told of times when they would get together with brothers and sisters and cousins and get together with grandma and just, just have wonderful times that they cherish even today. And so that's true for the home as well, that it ought to be a place such as that. Now, as we come down here to verses 27 and 28, we find 
that's, that Hannah is going to keep her promise. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted my peti pet petition that I made to him. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives. He is lent to the Lord. Now there's been a little bit of a misunderstanding about the word lent there. It doesn't mean that uh, she would just offer him up and then take him back, you know, or, own, or um, just have him offered up for a period of time. No, she devoted him to the Lord for all of his life. Now, the evidence of this gracious person in the life of her son is made evident in his future life. He wrote these two books of the Bible all about his ministry and the ministry that he performed on behalf of kings and others. And so uh, Hannah was a faithful woman who learned to lean heavily upon the Lord. She remained faithful to her husband and trusted God to meet her need. I'd like you to go over to chapter 2 here for a moment. After all of this, she had taken uh, Samuel to the temple. And here's this little child. He's going to now be raised there in the temple and serve the Lord there. I don't read anything about... <clears throat> Him, the child objecting. I don't read anything about the child crying and being upset that his mother would leave him there. She had prepared him for this. Now, some say that he might have been as young as three years old when, he, when she got him there. It says after he was weaned. Well, I kind of think maybe it was longer than what we might think concerning that because... I have no doubt but that she actually prepared him and taught him and, and uh, showed him what, would, what he would have to do. And so we come to this prayer on behalf of, of Hannah, and it's a precious prayer. And we begin here and just uh, um, read beginning in verse 1. Uh, it says, Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts the Lord, my horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let your arrogance, let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. You know, as I, as I read that, I couldn't help but think that she is feeling as though she has finally been um, uh, brought to a conclusion that, that, uh, that what her other, uh, the other wife had said to her was being uh, taken care of. Benina had given her a hard time. And now she says, I've been justified in trusting God. I know now that God meets my needs. He doesn't always do it in the way I expect or in the time that I expect, but God meets my needs. He says, she says, there's none holy but like you. So I suggest to you that that home may have had quite a, part, uh, a 
party spirit there between the two uh, wives. And I think that's why God says that that should not be today. <clears throat> but you can imagine how harried a mother is, how sometimes she's frustrated. Sometimes the children get on her nerves. Sometimes uh, things around her just uh, kind of come to a head. And when that happens, you know, um, a mother might not feel like she's as godly a person as she should be. But you know, I read a story here about a woman who telephoned her friend and asked how she was feeling, and the reply came, Terrible. My head's splitting, my back and my legs are killing me, the house is a mess, and the kids are simply driving me crazy. Very sympathetically, the caller said, Listen, go lie down. I'll come over right away and cook lunch for you, clean up the house, and take care of the children while you get some rest. By the way, how's Sam? Sam? The complaining housewife gasped. I have no husband named Sam. There was a long pause. Are you still coming over? <laughs> the harried mother asked hopefully. You ever felt like that? It's important then that we understand in those harried times and difficult times. Not, we don't depend on a neighbor, but we depend on the Lord. And so, Hannah being a gracious wife, she was also a gratified mother. Gratified mother. Hannah's prayer of thankfulness is seen in the life of her son. Because of her sincere heart, she, she knew that God had provided and God would meet that need. Look at verse 19 of this second chapter. <clears throat> I have to find it here. Let's read verse 18 with it. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod. And his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you ch children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord so they would return to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Isn't that precious? God met her need. She was a gratified mother. Because of her sincere heart, she would receive the blessing. And not only the blessing of a son, but a blessing of number of children that she could raise in like manner. And so as we consider Samuel's life and ministry, we realize it all goes back, doesn't it, to that wonderful time when he was at home with his mother. And I have no doubt but that Samuel's mother was in his heart and on his mind throughout the years of his ministry. 
By returning him to the Lord, Hannah was gratified by seeing his young life lived holy for the Lord. Now, as a parent, I think it's really important for us to recognize that um, we love our children, we want the best for them, but sometimes a parent carries that too far. And a parent wants their child to get the best education, to get the best position in a large corporation or perhaps in a business, make a lot of money, find a nice place to live, have their children so that now mother can become a grandmother, and all those things. But I do know that there are times when those mothers who have dedicated their children to the Lord find it hard to give them up when that child says, I think the Lord's leading me to the mission field. Or perhaps I think the Lord is leading me into some area of ministry here in the, in the country. And that mother realizes that child probably won't make a lot of money, won't have a beautiful home, won't be considered one of those people in the top end of society. But the godly mother and the gracious mother will say, I'm going to leave that with the Lord. I believe God will take care of that, my child and, there, and see it from a spiritual standpoint, recognizing there's no greater thing that you can do than what Hannah did. Lend your child to the Lord for as long as they live. And that's our prayer for, for each one of you today as, um, as mothers, that you might be willing to give your children up to the Lord. God will honor you for that. And he'll bless you and your children and your home. So as you look at children, perhaps you've got some young ones. Do you ever wonder how they're going to turn out? Well, I think they're going to turn out exactly in the way that you have trained them and prepared them for life. To a large extent, the answer to the questions will rest in our commitment to raising them to know and love the Lord. When children are mature, they will love their mothers. They will look to their mother's faith and gracious attitude and remember that they were prepared for life when held on her lap as little children. Remember the words of Proverbs 31 and verse 28. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. So we thank God for this, and we thank God for you. And we trust these few thoughts from, from the life of Hannah here in 1 Samuel will be a blessing and encouragement to you to present yourself before the Lord as his servant to raise that family for the glory of God. Let's look to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these few thoughts, these observations from a godly mother. We pray, Lord, that you would bless these truths to each heart and our lives to your service today. Father, we pray that as we honor our mothers today, 
that we might do so with a sense of all that she means in our home and our family. And we'll give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen.